Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. Secretaries of state are the chief election administrators around the country. As the midterm elections unfold, we're seeing just how important that role is. My guest today is Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. She's joining us to discuss the critical role secretaries of state play, the state of election integrity around the nation, and her re-election campaign. Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold setting her eyes on what she hopes is the new standard when it comes to threats against election officials across the country. That I, I think it's good that the DOJ election threat task force is prosecuting. Republican supporters of Donald Trump's election lies are running for office to take control of counting votes in elections. This midterm election cycle, candidates are vying for state offices that are responsible for running and certifying elections. Several among these candidates continue to deny the results of the 2020 election. Another round of legal problems for embattled Mesa County Court Tina Peters. She turned herself into the Pitkin County Sheriff's Office after a warrant was issued for her arrest. That was based off sending an email to county clerks about her request to get a recount in the Republican primary for the Secretary of State nomination. Hi, I'm Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, and I'm fighting to protect the right of every Republican, Democrat, and unaffiliated voter to make their voice heard in our democracy. Sorry, not sorry. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us today. I had a very sort of almost corporate first question for you, but I feel like the real first question I want to ask you is how fucked are we? Oh, you're coming hot out of the gate, Alyssa. (laughs) I think that the stakes have never been higher for potentially a midterm. They're extremely high right now. I also think we're going to win. We're seeing the worst attack on democracy in recent times, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Big lie candidates running to oversee elections, attacks against election workers. But we're on the right side of history. We have justice at our back and more importantly, the American people. Can you just go back a step and tell my listeners what the job of a secretary of state is for those who may not know? Secretary of State definitely wasn't front of mind for a lot of people prior to 2020. But the majority of secretaries of state oversee our elections. So they'll oversee state and federal elections. And a lot of us came into the forefront in 2020 because, of course, we were navigating one of the most important elections, I think, in American history in the middle of a global pandemic and what we came to learn with a sitting president of the United States trying to steal the presidency. 
And how does your job for those that feel like that doesn't impact my life or what I do, how does it impact the lives of voters? Well, in so many different ways, the minimum wage, being able to get affordable health care, be able to send your kids to school and not go bankrupt. We need to have the right to vote to elect people who are representative of the American people and who will represent us when it comes to them instituting policies. I think with the attack democracy, it's so much heightened because what's happening with our fundamental freedoms. With the Dobbs decision, women are no longer full citizens in this country. The right to abortion has been rolled back. The right to women deciding who to have a family with, when to have a family, what type of economic futures we're going to have, that obviously has been under attack. But it's not just the right to reproductive health care and abortion rights. We're seeing birth control be on possibly the target list in some states. We're seeing conversations about rolling back marriage equality. Republican members of the Colorado congressional delegation just took a vote a couple weeks ago, and they vote against protecting marriage equality and interracial marriage. Here's Charlie Kirk uh, interviewing um, Congresswoman Lauren Bobert uh, on the Charlie Kirk Show. Yeah, so um, like like many pieces of legislation, um, this was absolutely rushed through. Um, it, it didn't go through um, all of the t- uh, the markup process that we that we have in in committees, and um, there weren't actual hearings on the legislation. Um, and they they really have launched an an all out assault um, on America's traditional values. So we're seeing this movement to put extreme policies on us and to fight back. To have the power to really organize, we need to have the right to vote in safe and secure elections. Would you say that there's more at stake in these midterms than almost was at stake in the general election of 2020? I would just say both were high stakes. We had a president doing so many horrendous things, but one of the chief among them was trying to steal the presidency, which is outrageous for the United States of America. But the attacks on democracy that started in the lead up to 2020, the attacks to set the playing field to try to steal the presidency, they have not stopped. So the midterm elections are really about fighting back against that continued attack of the minority of people like Trump, Steve Bannon, these extremists who are doing anything it takes to try to hold on to power. So it's really about getting this country back on track and underlining that this is a country of, by, and for the people. That means it's up to the people who get elected, and we have to have active participation. You're running for re-election. Tell us about your tenure as Secretary of State of Colorado. My tenure, oh my gosh, so unexpected. Global pandemic and everything that happened in 2020. You know, as Secretary of State, I'm actually the first Democrat to win in 60 years. I grew up in rural Colorado in a cabin with an outhouse outside on food stamps. I started working the summer after seventh grade. So first in my family to go to a four-year college, first to go to law school, and then the first Democrat to win in 60 years. I'm the youngest Secretary of State and the first Democratic woman Secretary of State in Colorado. So it was just like this historic win. We organized the state. But I've really fought to increase access, increase our security, and make sure that every eligible Republican, Democrat, and unaffiliated voter can cast the ballot. In 2019, I was able to lead into law one of the largest democracy reform efforts in the nation and happy to get into that, all the great things we did to expand access and security. In 2020, I was the only Democratic Secretary of State from a vote by mail for all states. 
we helped the nation expand access to absentee voting, vote by mail, so Americans could have their voices heard. And now I'm the chair of the Democratic Association of Secretaries of State, where we're fighting for democracy across the nation and continue to be at the forefront of fighting the attacks on democracy and happy to go into all of that with you. You mentioned insecurity. I would love to know really just an overview of the state of election security and the integrity across the nation and how Colorado is different. Colorado is considered the safest state in which to cast the ballot because we have now California does too, vote by mail for all. So we just send a mail ballot to everybody and then we have weeks of early voting and day voter registration. So really accessible elections, and I've worked to make them even more accessible. I've increased drop boxes by 65%. We partnered with the tribes. We saw about a 20% increase in tribal voting. We set up automatic voter registration, which registered 350,000 people. And that started in the middle of the pandemic. And that's a couple of the awesome things you can do in these positions. But for our security, we have paper ballots, which of course, we're an adversaries can't have. But we're seeing a new wave of security threats. And that's when election officials actually embrace the conspiracies and compromise their own internal security. So I was the first secretary of state to have to address a situation like that when a local county clerk, that's the person who actually administers the election, I provide oversight, local county clerk, Tina Peters, literally working with QAnon and the MyPillow guy, ordered the cameras off on her voting system, stole someone's identity badged in so we knew exactly who went in. They compromised the voting equipment trying to prove the big lie. So I, first in the nation situation, acted decisively at decertifying all the voting equipment. I asked a judge to remove the county clerk from oversight of her elections. And I actually appointed my 2018 Republican opponent to run the election. But that's like the new wave of security risks for the actual elections. It's insider folks embracing conspiracies and breaking security protocol. Yeah, just so people understand, right now we have people running to oversee elections who actively work to overturn free and fair elections in 2020. I feel like the appropriate question is, like, how can that happen? The Trump's grip on the Republican Party is extremely strong. And we're seeing these election deniers win primaries for Secretary of State. They've won in Nevada, Arizona, Michigan, Minnesota, New Mexico. As the Washington Post reported, so far this election year, more than 100 Republican primary winners back Donald Trump's false claims of election fraud. That includes Nevada's Jim Marchant, who this week won that state's Republican primary for Secretary of State. And Pennsylvania's Republican nominee for governor, Doug Mastriano, who was seen outside the Capitol on January 6th. So folks who want to be the chief election officer of a state who are telling us they will strip us of our freedom to vote, suppress the vote, destabilize elections, and be more beholden to Mar-a-Lago than the American people. 
And then at the local level, there's folks running who actually administer the elections, county clerks, some states they call them auditors, who are also big lie candidates. And that's why this election is so important. Electing a big lie secretary of state or county clerk is like putting an arsonist in charge of a fire department. So Americans really need to pay attention to these races and organize to make sure that we elect folks who will follow the law and uphold the will of the people. Are we late to this? Do you feel like there's enough organizing that's been going on early enough to really make a difference? Absolutely. I think there's a couple of proof points. Number one, Democratic secretaries of state, the amount of support is unprecedented, both in volunteer and fundraising. At the same time, the Republicans, including some of these extreme election deniers, are getting a lot of support, too. So we can't stop. We got to keep on going. A recent poll just had democracy as the number one issue for Americans going into the midterm elections. Democracy just polled number one in a recent poll. The Republican talking point, the GOP talking point is that more people care about rising costs and that's going to be the number one issue. And clearly, besides democracy, I would also think that human rights play a big part in what's at stake in these elections. What happens if supporters of the big lie win? To your last point, I grew up very blue collar. There were times where Gosh, I was in college. I would get in a really hot shower and put on three layers of sweatpants because I couldn't fully afford to run my heat. I think Americans' concerns about costs are real and we have to respond. That's why I've been so glad to see gas prices come down, major federal legislation go through. But Americans, blue collar, upper class, rural, all across this country are concerned about democracy. And we are on the right side of history and we're fighting to save the future of this country. And for these election deniers, if they win, what we can expect from them is to suppress the vote, destabilize elections. And the big question is, if there's another January 6th, what are they going to do? Are they going to be helping the folks trying to destabilize and throw this country into chaos? Or will they stand up for the American people? And many of these extreme Republicans across the nation are very clearly telling us they will not uphold the right to vote. Can democracy and social media exist together without regulation? Oh, this, that's a hard question. I think the answer is yes, because there's all different types of regulation. Social media can self-regulate. They can decide not to be a platform of white supremacy and folks trying to destroy the country. But the role of government should be in a well-functioning government is that if there is a risk to the American people or to the stability of the union, that the government acts. And we've obviously seen a couple of things. Number one, in 2016, Russia attacked our election infrastructure with direct cyber attack. They did not succeed. But we started to see them use really sophisticated analytics to get at the hearts and minds of the American people through social media. And they have ran those voter suppression social media attacks since at least 2016. They're more and more sophisticated, and the American people need to be aware that literally our foreign adversaries are targeting us. The pressure is on for election officials in states all across the country to make sure that the vote is fairly counted and accurately counted, especially given the unprecedented assault on elections and election workers since the 2020 campaign by the Trump right. However, the job responsibilities have drastically changed. 
Politico spoke with 10 top election officials and found that they see their jobs not just as election overseers, but as full-time mythbusters on the front lines of defending democracy itself. And then it gets so much more complicated because domestic actors start repeating the lies pushed by our foreign adversaries. So I do think that the federal government should actually do their job and protect this nation, our international interests and our domestic interests. But I think we as a people also need to be aware of foreign disinformation, of disinformation on social media, and also push platforms to recognize that their great success is in a large part of being in this country where you can have great success and they have a duty back to the country and to the American people. We saw such a dangerous turn with that during the pandemic, with the amount of disinformation that was being spread. And it's incredible because I feel like even though people could have totally great intentions, I always see the picture that has been altered, right? Whatever that picture might be. And even those with good intentions start spreading it around saying this picture has been altered, not realizing that they are part of the problem. And it's I don't know how I don't know how we get around any of it. And especially when you look at January 6th and you look at the insurrection and you look at the amount of organizing that went down on social media. And yet it still felt like everyone was shocked that it was happening. and. I think we should also be shocked that many of those insurrectionists are running for office nationally. (laughs) Should they be allowed to hold office? And do we go beyond that? Should they be allowed to campaign on false information and lies while they are running? People who are organizing the demise of the United States of America should be held accountable. You cannot rush into the U.S. Capitol, some with intentions of hanging the vice president of the United States, period. So we need to see those prosecutions. We really do. I mean, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? And yet to some, it is not obvious. It seems very obvious. And going beyond that, this is a country based on the very idea that no man or woman is above the law, whether they're storming the U.S. Capitol, whether they're a sitting congressperson, whether they're a president of the United States. And I think it's really important to make sure that we disincentivize what is happening to hold these people accountable. And and we're starting to see that. I would like it to go much faster. We were literally talking about the stealing of a presidency from the American people. It's horrific. It's undemocratic. It's un-American. We need to hold them accountable. And for those who haven't been held accountable or who are lying about the 2020 election, lying about election administration now to try to grasp onto power, we need to make these big lie candidates, like frankly, into big loser candidates in November. You mentioned the 2020 election a little bit, and there are so many lies from the right about everything from stolen votes, tampering with machines, and obviously much more. What did your office actually see? The 2020 election was great. We had the second highest turnout in the country. We were assisting states uh, across the nation in the expansion of vote by mail and actually expanded access to a mail ballot to over 84% of American voters, which led to record turnout among Democrats and Republicans across the country. So it was the safest election in American history. Obviously, it was hard. We were trying to run elections during a pandemic. It means opening up access, recruiting election judges, making sure that democracy survived the pandemic. 
it didn't only survive, we had great elections. And that's the juxtaposition that's just so hard to really accept. The nation went through this horrendous effort to protect the right to vote during a pandemic to only see it followed by the worst attack on the right to vote in recent times. What do you say to people who say it's partisan to have every eligible voter receive a ballot? I think your tagline of the show is a really good tagline. There's so many things that, you know, the far right will say. They're trying to say, oh, it's partisan to protect the right to vote. It is not partisan to protect the right to vote. It's what you should be doing. It's not partisan to make sure that voters have the most secure and accessible way to cast a ballot. This vote was a procedural vote. And the Republicans, uh, when they voted against this bill, they voted against simply debating the bill, not even whether they agreed with the bill or not. They just didn't want to debate it. So that's how powerful uh, the Republicans are right now in uh, the Senate, because uh, the Democrats only managed to uh, really secure their own 50 votes. But that was not enough to even push uh, that bill to be uh, debated on uh, the Senate floor. And that is because uh, the Republicans are saying that uh, this uh, bill, which is hundreds and hundreds of pages long, uh, simply goes far beyond actual uh, voting rights. It's everything from, of course, uh, some national standards for things uh, like early voting, like mail-in ballots, like voter registration. Every eligible voter exercising their constitutional rights should be provided with that access. It's up to states to provide that. It's people's constitutional rights. I think we have to push back on the extreme right trying to make this into party politics, because secretaries of state, our job is to protect democracy. It's to protect our election infrastructure, and it's to protect the will of the people. And that means so many things. It means going into red counties to make sure that every Republican, Democrat, and unaffiliated can vote. It means standing up to election deniers. It means reaching across the aisle when we can. But fundamentally, it's not partisan. It's protecting the very value of this country, that American voters choose American elections. And are there things states can change about the way they count ballots that could potentially reduce the confusion about how results are reported? They actually can. And the complicated thing about election administration is that there's so many layers and there's so many ways, all those layers, to increase access and security or to suppress the vote. There really is, whether it's to signature verification. In Colorado, we check the signatures on the back of every mail ballot, but we check it to every signature the voter has in the system. Some states will say, we're only going to check your signature to your first signature in the system, which could have been 40 years ago. So you can suppress the vote or actually increase security how you do that. With how you count ballots, you can increase confidence or reduce them. And there was a big push in 2020 by the far right in Trump to not start counting ballots, mail ballots, until election day. And so that just means it takes time to count ballots, a lot of ballots. So if you start counting on election day when polls close, you will not have results election night. You're not even going to have the majority. It's going to take time. So why were they trying to do that? To open up a window to file lawsuits as part of the plan to try to steal the presidency. It's trying to open up this time to allow for all the crazy things they were talking about. They were talking about seizing voting equipment. They had this plan to seat fake electors in 10 states. They were suing the bejesus out of all of us 
to try to find a path to take the presidency. Absolutely. In a state where you have a lot of mail ballots, it's always good to start processing them sooner. Colorado does that. And we're able to report 75 to 85% of election night results right on election night within a couple hours of polls closing. I'm amazed that they actually thought that they could get away with it. And it feels like there may be real systemic problems with our election integrity. Do you think that's true? Is that a true, a fair thing to say that they thought that they could get away with it because they knew that there were systemic problems with our election integrity? I think there's a couple of things. The nation's elections are secure. We've taken tremendous steps in the last decade, especially since 2016, to shore up security. But I also think that they obviously saw a pathway to try to delay the mail system, to try to suppress the vote, to try to make Americans scared to vote, to cast the ballot in the pandemic and not allow and support the reforms to make voting in a pandemic safe because those reforms are vote by mail. You can vote from your house. You don't have to go stand in a long line. You don't have to go stand in a crowding voting center. So obviously they think there's a path to tilt elections because that is the national plan of Donald Trump right now and folks around him. It's strip Americans of the freedom to vote. 33 voter suppression bills were passed last year. 500 were introduced since January of this year. So maybe you could just keep people you don't want voting not to vote. It's destabilizing election. It's eroding confidence and laying the groundwork for the next January 6th. That is what we are seeing happening in real time. And that's why these upcoming elections are so important. There's bad news for Governor Ron DeSantis and his fellow Republicans trying to suppress the vote in Florida. A federal judge blocked the state from enforcing most of the measures in its voter suppression law. What's even more remarkable is the judge's blistering critique of the law, Senate Bill 90, and what can only be described as a scorched earth ruling. Across 288 pages, federal judge Mark Walker notes Florida's grotesque history of racial discrimination. He says the plaintiffs in the case allege the law runs roughshod over the right to vote, unnecessarily making voting harder for all eligible Floridians, unduly burdening disabled voters, and intentionally targeting minority voters, all to improve the electoral prospects of the party in power. And also giving foreign adversaries the opportunity to see the vulnerabilities and to take advantage of them. You're just amazing. I have so much respect for what you do, who you are. From the very first time I met you, I knew that you were so spectacular. And I just want everyone to support your campaign. How can people support your campaign? That is so sweet of you. It means so much to me. And we really appreciate your support, everything that you're doing. For your listeners, I am in a tight race in Colorado. We think the stakes are so high. And you can join me at jennifercolorado.com. And finally, what gives you hope? I know this conversation is a heavy conversation. I'm actually incredibly hopeful. And I'll tell you a couple reasons why. You know, I travel the state quite a bit. I go to rural parts, cities, blue collar places, richer places. And Americans, 
not only Democrats, unaffiliated Republicans, are so fired up about what's happening right now. They want fair elections, and you can see it in their eyes, and they know what's at stake. So I'll tell you, every single time I meet with someone, I am optimistic. To be very clear, I think we may not win every single race that we want to win in November, but we're going to win a big majority of them. I think we're going to save democracy. I, I don't know if this is airing today, but like it's 70 days coming up here in November. But to be very clear, I think Coloradans and Americans know that this isn't a fight that ends in November. We're seeing the coordinated, systematic stripping of American democracy away from us. We're seeing minority view, whether it's on abortion, marriage equality, climate, being attempted to be put on the majority of us. And I think this really is the fight of our lifetime. And what we're fighting for is the, the future of the ideal of the United States. So I'm very optimistic we're going to get through November and we're going to keep on going. And I really appreciate all of your leadership and your team, because it's crucial that folks really pay attention to what's happening right now. Jenna Griswold, you give me hope. Thank you for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. Thank you. So my fellow Americans, whatever you may believe, whether you prefer one party or no party, whether you supported my agenda or fought as hard as you could against it, our collective futures depends on your willingness to uphold your duties as a citizen, to vote, to speak out, to stand up for others, especially the weak, especially the vulnerable, knowing that each of us is only here because somebody somewhere stood up for us. When I hear the absolutely devastating testimony given to the January 6th committee about the concerted efforts of a losing candidate to corrupt the constitutional electoral process, I can't tell you how scared I am. We nearly lost our democracy, and the threat isn't over. In recent primaries in key states, election deniers and supporters of Trump's big lie won primaries. And while we may know about these candidates running in the larger races, they are running for and winning elections for school boards, zoning boards, town councils, and other critical offices that have huge impacts in our communities. If these people had been in office on January 6th, we may no longer have a nation. That's how important these elections are. The very existence of the United States is threatened. So pay attention, not just to the federal races, but to every single race on your ballot. Know who's running, know what they stand for, and vote accordingly. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson. Audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bulliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry. Not sorry.